It's good to see you guys again. Mission Serve was awesome, but if I could confess something, it's great to be home. It's great to sleep in your own bed. It's great to see family that you haven't seen in like a week and a half and all of those good things. Um, it was a great tip. I'm so thankful to be here with you this morning. We're going to jump right back in to the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 6. Um, one of my all-time favorite passages is what we're looking at this morning at the end of Matthew chapter 6. But, you know, I was reflecting on our trip over this past week, and I'm going to let you guys in on a little secret. Most youth pastors will tell you this. The days leading up to any retreat, any mission trip, anything like that, anything where you're going away can be incredibly stressful. You're wondering, like, do we have everything that we possibly need? Do we have all of our forms? You might get a text the morning of saying, hey, I didn't know there was a trip. Can I still go? I know of a church this past year, true story, large church, hundreds some odd people going on a mission trip, went to pick up their vehicles that they had rented. Person behind the counter said, what rentals? They called every enterprise within like a 20 minute radius and rented every minivan possible to make this trip happen. See, the days leading up can be incredibly stressful. I would tell you, once you have the people you're supposed to have in the vehicles heading to the direction, heading to the location that you're supposed to be going, usually the stress goes down. And I would tell you 99.9% .9 of the time for me, that has been my experience. However, several years ago, right before I came to Central, I, I went on a winter retreat and this was not... This was not my experience at all. So I went to this camp for a winter retreat called Camp Berea. Um, you heard one person cheer, that was Pastor Darren. He was, he was there this past week. So we were going from Connecticut to New Hampshire. We had our three vehicles. We had the right amount of students and the right amount of leaders. We had our drivers. Everything looked like it was in order. And I remember about an hour into a trip, we had three drivers, three vehicles. I'm in one. Jess is riding shotgun. We have some students riding with us. And this, this rental that I had just picked up just dies. I am driving on 91 going north in Connecticut toward New Hampshire. I am looking forward to all of our vehicles meeting up at Chick-fil-A because that's what you do on a retreat, right? You stop at Chick-fil-A. We're going toward Chick-fil-A on our way to Camp Berea and the vehicle dies. I call Enterprise and I tell them, hey, I'm on the side of the road with some students. I really need a new vehicle. And I'll never forget the guy just says, hey, Chris, can you drive that car to the Hartford airport and we'll swap it? And I'm saying to him, hey, I don't know if you just heard the story I can't drive anything. I would love nothing more than to drive. We're just sitting here. And so we're going back and forth as I'm trying to explain to him like, hey, I would love to drive and meet you wherever you want to meet, but I just can't. And I hear a student chirp from the back, just say, Chris, 
Don't you just wish Jesus would take the wheel right now? He thought, like you, that it was hilarious. I was not laughing. <laughs> Jess and I had one of those moments, if you're married, where she kind of squeezed my hand and it was kind of a way of saying, hey, whatever you're thinking about saying right now, please don't say it. <laughs> so as this is happening, vehicle two arrives at Chick-fil-A. A group of students and leaders are enjoying some dinner in the booth next to them. A man has a seizure. He, he passes out. One of our one of our volunteers is an EMT. He, he jumps into action. He saves the guy. So I call that group to see how it's going, ready to complain about the car. And they're like, hey, Chris, we have a lot more going on than you right now. We finally get the right vehicle. We're on our way. We get to Camp Berea. And two of our three vehicles are there. I'm like, we are missing a handful of students and some leaders. I call that leader and he's just, Man, he's just kicking it at Dunkin' Donuts. They're just hanging out. I'm like, Matt, worship starts in 10 minutes. Where are you? That's met with 30 seconds of silence. As I'm sure he looked at his watch, realized he was not where he was supposed to be. We go into worship that night. Of course, we're late. And I just remember thinking, God, if this is like a precursor to this weekend, we are off to a bad start. It's not going well. I was consumed with worry. I was panicking. But here's the good news this morning. I tell you that story and I remember every bit of it. But I remember what God did during that weekend so much more. Remember times of worship. I remember students making decisions. I, I remember just the sweet time that we had on that retreat. And I look back and all I could think was, man, if we had let ourselves be consumed by worry, it, it might have derailed what ended up being a powerful weekend. See, for some of us this morning, we have things going on and, and we're a little overwhelmed, we're a little flustered. Worry has crept in in a real way. We're gonna see in our passage this morning, Jesus speaks directly to the worries that we face. See, it's, it's our big idea this morning. Bring your worries to Jesus. Bring your worries, your doubts, your fears, your insecurities. Bring your worries to Jesus. So many of us, we're consumed by worry. It, it dictates every decision that we make. It impacts our relationships, it impacts our families, our work, it impacts everything. And this morning, I wanna encourage you, bring your worries to Jesus. See, the passage we're gonna look at this morning is actually very simple. You read it, it's pretty straightforward. I'd encourage you, it's, it's one of those things that can be easy to read and a little bit harder to believe at times. But Jesus encourages his followers, followers in Matthew chapter six. We're gonna be in verse 25. We're gonna work through this down through the end of the chapter. And he starts by saying this, therefore I tell you, 
Don't worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body or what you will wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? So let's pause here for a second. See, as we look at this passage, we're actually directed, when it starts with therefore, we're directed to what immediately preceded this passage. So last week, Tim Lowe shared with us that really we're not supposed to be fixated on earthly things, things that are here today and gone tomorrow. We're supposed to set our sights on heavenly things, on things that are eternal. Jesus really continues this train of thought as he speaks to us about our worry. We're not to be focused on the things of this world that drag us down. We're supposed to fix our eyes on Jesus. Let me tell you one of the things I love most about Jesus. Jesus is pretty straightforward. He doesn't sugarcoat a lot. He's not passive aggressive. He doesn't hint at things. Most of the time, he just comes out and says what he is that he wants us to hear, what he wants his followers to hear. One commentator put it this way. It's almost as if he looks at his followers and just says, you're worrying, stop. Stop worrying about things that are trivial, that are earthly. See, six times throughout this passage, the word worry or worried will appear. Jesus speaks directly to our earthly physical worries. And he invites us to trust him. So I do wanna give a few disclaimers about this passage this morning because it's very easy to read it and maybe take it and maybe have it mean something that it's not meant to be. See, Jesus is not saying that we should not work hard. He's not saying that we shouldn't plan properly. Also this, Jesus is actually not talking about clinical anxiety. He is not anti-counseling, he's not anti-medication. I would actually suggest for something clinical, a clinical response is really good. Jesus is talking about when we worry, when we place our trust in earthly things. See, that's his main point. And this morning, I would suggest to you our first point. Jesus is saying, don't trust yourself, trust God. When you're worried, don't put your faith and your trust in yourself and your own ability to get yourself out of a situation. Don't put your, all of your trust in your gifts, your talents, your abilities. Put your trust in him. See, this is counter to the way we live our lives a lot of the times. If we're honest, at times God ends up being kind of like a last resort. If I'm gonna try my way, I'm gonna to talk to my people, I'm gonna use my wisdom, I'm gonna use my gifts. And if that doesn't work out, I might consult God afterward and just might see how that might work out. Jesus is actually inviting us to take the pressure off of ourselves. He's inviting us really to give whatever it is we're worried about, whatever it is we're struggling with, to give that over to him. 
See, the trust, the power, it's not in ourselves, it's in him. And Jesus is inviting us not to worry this morning. See, there was a group in the New Testament that was, that was very worried. First Peter chapter five, um, first Peter is a great book. The first few verses, um, you'll see it says, to the people who are dispersed. Peter is writing to a group of people undergoing persecution. They're scattered. They are scattered because of their faith in Jesus. I would suggest they are very worried on what the outcome might be for their own very lives. And as Peter writes to encourage this people, he writes this in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 and 7. It says, humble yourselves, therefore under the mighty hand of God, so that he might exalt you at the proper time, casting all your cares on him because he cares for you. It's why we can trust him. He cares. He's present. He's there. He's, he's active. Right now, you could cry out to God with whatever you have going on, and he'll hear you. He'll listen. He's there. He, he's present when it's good. He's present when it's bad. It's why Jesus can say with authority not to worry. See, we, we think and we think and we think and we think. We act and we act and we act. We try to get ourselves out of things. And we think we have the ability to do it on our own. Jesus this morning is inviting us to a better way. Take the trust off of ourselves and put our trust in him. About 20 some odd years ago, Jim Cimbala, he, he pastors the Brooklyn Tabernacle. He had a daughter um, in her late teenage, young adult kind of years. Um, for lack of a better term, she, she kind of went rogue. She rebelled. She was into some things that she shouldn't have been. And ultimately, she ran away from home. They, they searched. They couldn't find. Family members were tasked with searching. They couldn't find. A handful of people knew, not that many. They were all praying. And one night during their Tuesday night prayer meeting, a woman came up to Pastor Jim and handed him a note. And the note just said, I think we just need to stop what we're doing. And I think as a church, we just need to pray for your daughter. And so that night, thousands of people interceded to God on her behalf. She would tell this story later and she said, I had no idea that in a random church in, in Brooklyn, that thousands of people were going to God on my behalf. See, they had exhausted every other opportunity to find this girl. And thousands of people just came before God and said, would you do what only you can do? See, Central, this morning we are to act, but we're also to pray. We are to use the gifts God's given us, but we're to put our faith and our trust in him. 
If you're worried this morning, I would ask you, are you going to God with that? Are you asking him to do what only he can do? Here's what I love about this passage. We're gonna see it in a minute. So Jesus just kind of throws this big command out there, but he gives evidence. He gives data. He doesn't just leave it at that. He gives us some examples. So in verse 26, the passage continues. Let's look at some of the examples Jesus gives. He says, consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? Can any of you add one moment to his lifespan by worrying? And why do you worry about clothes? Observe how the wildflowers of the, lea- of the field grow. They don't lo- labor or spin thread. And I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was adorned like one of these. That's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow. Won't he do much more for you, O you of little faith? So don't worry saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. See, I I like evidence. I like data. I like proof. And, And Jesus supplies that for his followers in this passage. As he's leading his followers, he says, man, look at the birds. Look at the grass. They're taken care of. Aren't you going to be taken care of? It's, it's a little bit of a challenge. He said in that passage, aren't you of more worth than they? See, here's what's fascinating about human beings. We see in Genesis 1 that men and women, that we are created in the image of God. As you read the Genesis account, it's something that he says about humanity that he actually does not say about anything else. We're the only thing in creation that's made in the image of God. And everybody who has been born or will be born, this is true about. See, we share in what are called communicable attributes with God. See, there are incommunicable attributes and I would suggest to you this morning that none of us are all-knowing or all-powerful, but we have the ability to share in some of these qualities that God has, like love and kindness and forgiveness and all of these other things. Every single person who has been born, will be born, is made in the image of God. They have worth. They're someone that Jesus desires to have a relationship with. And so, of course... Of course, to answer Jesus' question in verse 30, we matter more than than the birds and the grass that were made in his image, but we can actually take it one step further. As followers of Christ, not only are we made in his image, we're adopted into his family. We're we're sons, we're daughters. That that relationship that God desires is, is a reality. We're his children. And this morning, Central, I want you to know the good father takes care of his children. The good father always takes care of his children. It's one of the 
greatest promises that we see in Scripture. That our basic physical needs, God's going to take care of us. Not always our wants. Man, there's a lot of stuff that I want. Like, not always our wants. Not always in our timing. Not always what we think we might deserve. But our, our basic physical needs, the good father takes care of his children. I realize that for, for some this morning, that might be a challenge as you measure up your, your heavenly father against your earthly father. I, I would suggest to you this morning, no matter how, how good or how bad your earthly father may be, all of our earthly fathers will never measure up to our perfect heavenly father who's always there, who loves us perfectly, who's constant in our lives, who's not absent, who takes care of his children. See, I saw an example of this this past week. So some of you may know um, at the end of our trip, I'm um, coming back from it, um, I had a little bit of time on my hands once I got home. Um, and so with that little bit of time in my hands, I, I love documentaries. And so I'm like, you know, let's, let's see what's on Netflix and all these other streaming services. Let's pick out a documentary to watch. And, and I found this one and um, I'm gonna credit Caitlin Kern and Brian Loesch for this. Um, they played like every 90s Christian song you could think of in van rides to and from West Virginia. Um, I think for the few of us that remember those songs, we were geeking out remembering our youth group years. Um, I am convinced the students did not think it was a great time. But for a few of us, for a few hours, it was a good time. I, I found this documentary called The Jesus Music that really is about modern Christian music from the 1970s until now, the developments in it, some of the key figures in it. One part of the documentary I found fascinating. They dove into some of the stories and really talked about the tension of, man, sometimes you have a singer-songwriter who writes a song that impacts many but at the same time, that person that you put on a pedestal might be dealing with a lot personally. We overlook that a lot. And they dove into some stories and they said, you know, things aren't always as they appear. At the end of the day, we are human. And so there are some singers and some songwriters who've written some amazing songs that we sing in churches all across the country who deal with some significant personal issues. There was a singer in the 80s and 90s. His name was Russ Taff. And, and he shared his story and he talked about growing up in a home, actually growing up in a pastor's home where he would see his father preach these great sermons on Sunday mornings, but then he would watch him abuse alcohol during the week. He grew up in a home where substance abuse was just a thing where he and his siblings and his mother kind of bore the brunt of that. They were straddled with the consequences of that. It was a tough situation as he, as he grew older and started to experience some success. This crept back up for him. See, he started abusing alcohol himself. And, and all he could picture was the angry God that he saw on his father 
as a kid. See, his abuse got so out of control. His wife came to him one day and said, I'm done. I, I can't do this anymore. Look at what it's doing to our family. And he described walking into a room, seeing friends and, and family that he knew. And what he was waiting to hear was everyone's disappointment, everyone's disgust, for people to just point at him and say, man, you sing these songs, you're such a hypocrite. How can you sing these songs? How can you have churches sing your songs and do the things that you're doing? And so he is bracing himself for the worst, but he then describes, everyone looked at me in that room and they told me how much they loved me. And it's not that the sin and the substance abuse wasn't dealt with. But he said, I just remember being in that room and bracing for the worst and being told how much I was loved. I'm gonna to suggest to you this morning, that's what it looks like to be adopted into God's family. That's what it looks like to be a son or a daughter. Because for some of us, maybe we are involved in something that's really harmful for us and really harmful for other people. But God's love is still constant for you. You're still a son. You're still a daughter. He still desires that relationship with you. See, Tim Keller puts it this way. I love this quote. The only person who wakes up a king at 3 a.m. for a glass of water is a child. We have that kind of access. That's the relationship that God desires with each of us. That we can kind of just go to him at any time for any reason, for anything. We can take the cares and the worries off of ourselves and place them on him. And he wants to hear from us. Because again, not only as a follower of Christ are you an image bearer, you're a son, you're a daughter, you're adopted into his family. And the good father always takes care of his children. See, I, I loved how, how one commentator put it. After a command so clear, after all the evidence, after everything that's lined up, what more could Jesus say about this? But he gives us two more things in these final two verses. We'll pick it back up in verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So if we're, if we're not to worry about earthly things, if we don't need to worry about our, our basic physical needs, what are we supposed to do? And so, Central, I would tell you this. If you're worried, remember to put first things first. Remember to put first things first. See, Jesus is going to say to his followers that we are to seek him first. We're to seek him first. 
See, we, we see this in two ways. It says, again, in verse 33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And I would suggest there are a couple of ways we can do this. First, we need to seek him daily and follow him with our lives. See, we need to not compartmentalize. We need to seek him daily and follow him with our lives. I had a pastor say this to me once. There are many things that are important, but only one thing gets to be first. See, there's many things vying for our attention. There are many things that we can and should do. There are many things that are really and probably critically important, but only one thing gets to be first. See, our, our work, our careers, our, our schooling, I would say is absolutely important. I think we honor God and how we approach those things, but, but that cannot be first. To the neglect of our, our families, to the neglect of our church, to the neglect of our, our own soul, our relationship with God. See, family is critically important. It's actually God's idea. It's God's design. But really, Christ comes before family. And parents, I would even put it to you like this. You get to model discipleship for your kids. You get to model walking with Jesus for your kids. You get to model serving your church for your kids. Because in 10, 15, 20 years, you will not look back and say, man, I bought them so much stuff. I gave them everything they wanted every time they asked. But in 10, 15, 20 years, maybe you'll be sending grandkids to kids camp. Maybe you'll be funding a grandkid's mission trip that they take with their high school youth group. See, we need to put Christ first in everything. And it's a challenge when worry creeps in. When we focus on the things of this world, that's when the distractions, they start to creep in. See, God wants us to put him first because we're his children. We have, we have that relationship with him. Just seek him, for, seek him first and his righteousness. See, we don't have the ability to live these, these righteous lives, to follow Christ with our life without a, a daily and active relationship with him. It, it doesn't just happen. We don't become the people who want to look like Jesus apart from Jesus, apart from the Spirit's work in our lives. So there's a personal thing that happens when we put him first, but then there's a public thing. So again, verse 33, to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. See, this phrase, the kingdom of God, theologians describe this as something that is both already and not yet. It's already in the sense that it's something that we already enjoy as followers of Jesus. However, it's not yet because we know that Jesus will return. He'll create a new heaven and a new earth, which we'll all enjoy. And so in that time, it's our responsibility, every single one of us who follows Jesus, it's our responsibility to advance his kingdom. That's our primary objective. That's what we do. 
It's why we do things like Kids Camp. It's why we do things like Mission Serve. It's why we gather here on a Sunday morning. See, you'll never see in the New Testament an idea that we come to a space, we sing some songs, we hear a message, we go out, and there's no impact. There's always an idea that we are gathered up, we're equipped, we edify each other, we'll, we build each other up, and that we are sent out so that others may come to know Christ. It's the primary objective for every single person who claims to follow Jesus. See, I, I told you a story earlier about a retreat that went horribly wrong. But I'm gonna tell you another story about something that happened at a retreat that I'll never forget. Remember many years ago, a group of us, we, we put on this retreat. Saturday night, we had this awesome time of, of worship. The message was amazing. Everything had ended. We were making some s'mores by a bonfire. And another youth pastor walks up to me and he says, Chris, kid in my youth group gave his life to Jesus tonight. I said, Eric, that's awesome. Here is the part that I will never forget. He said, Chris, I prayed for that kid and his family for two years. For two years, I asked God to do something in this kid's life. When he wouldn't give me the time of day, I prayed when he didn't show up, me, me and my leaders, we prayed. He was disrupted. Sure, we addressed it, but, but we prayed. And we prayed and we prayed and we prayed. And on this particular night, he got to see God do something that only God could do. It's an amazing story. See, there, there are a few pastors who put it this way. They ask this question, and it should be true for every single one of us. Who's your one? Who's the one person in your life that you are praying actively for that they might come to Christ? Who's the one person in your life that you're looking for opportunities to share Jesus with? Who's the one person in your life that you're making the invite for that, that as you think about things that we do, like things like a car show that you're like, man, that's my one, I'm gonna invite them. I wanna encourage you, look around the room this morning. Imagine if we all had a one. Imagine if we all took that and said, God, who's my one? Who is the one person that you are asking me, you're inviting me to pray for that you want me to make invitations for, that you want me to share Christ with? See, it's, it's our mission. And I would suggest when we get caught up in the worries of this world, when we get caught up in things that are earthly, that are trivial, that don't matter in the scope of, of eternity, sometimes we miss our one. But I would encourage you this morning, there are opportunities all around you. And I believe God's put specific people in your life that are the one that you're supposed to be praying for, the one you're supposed to be inviting, the one you're supposed to be sharing Christ with so that his kingdom might advance. Central, this morning, I wanna ask you this question. What has you worried? 
See, as, as we looked through this passage this morning, maybe you saw some things in there and you're like, man, that sounds great on paper. Sounds like a good idea to not to worry, but maybe you've come through into this building this morning and you are overwhelmed with worry and with fear. See, here's the great news about Jesus. Where you have worry, where you have fear, Jesus wants to give you peace. Where there's darkness, there's light, Jesus wants to give you light. When there's death, Jesus wants to give you life. See, it's not anything that we do. It's what he's already done for us as he took your sin, as he took my sin, as he went to the cross. Jesus wants to give you life this morning. So if you've been following Jesus for a little while and you have some worry, let me encourage you, Jesus wants to take on that worry this morning. He wants to take it on for you. This morning, if you've not made that decision, if you've not made that decision to give your, your faith and your trust over to Jesus, here's what's amazing. That can change in an instant. And I would suggest there might even be some of you here today, you were somebody's one. They invited you here. You're not here by accident. You're here by divine appointment. See, the fear that you face, Jesus, he wants to give you peace. He wants to bring you into his marvelous light. And all he asks is that you believe. Let's pray. So Jesus, we thank you that with our worries, with our fears, God, we can bring them directly to you. God, you don't shut us out. You don't turn us away. But you're, you're God over the fear, over the storm, over whatever we have going on. You're present and you're active. Jesus, we, we thank you that for those of us who have chosen to follow you with our lives, God, that we can be your sons and your daughters. God, that we're adopted into your family. Lord, I, I pray for anyone right now who's unsettled by that. God, that you would give them peace for them to step out and to say, Jesus, I trust you. Jesus, I believe. So Lord, we're grateful that we're just so grateful God, that you're present in the midst of worry, in the midst of fear, in the midst of panic. God, that you're constant, that your love for us is true. So Jesus, we thank you for all of these things. We ask these things in your name. Amen.